The following opinions expressed within the content are solely the speakers and do not reflect the opinions and beliefs of Child Free Media Limited or its affiliates. Hello, Child Free Family and Friends. Cody here. Welcome to, to today's presentation, Let's Talk Money. This is EPA Free Family. And for those who may not know, it's a micro social network for child free people. If you remember the good old days of social media when they didn't run evil algorithms and show you what they wanted to show you, uh, it's like that, but better. Uh, plus, there's a map so you can actually see where there are some other child free people around the world based on their city. I'm also the co-founder for the Child Free Convention, which is a free virtual international event with various topics covering all kinds of cool aspects about the child free lifestyle with speakers from all over the place. But enough about me. Let's get Dr. J up here and I'll tell you a little bit about him. This is Dr. J Zygmunt. He and his wife are child free. He has a PhD in adult learning from the University of Connecticut and is a certified financial planner. A key thing to note about Dr. J is that he is a fiduciary, which means he must put the needs and interests of a client ahead of his own. On top of that, he is an advice-only and fee-only certified financial planner. So in other words, he is paid for his time by his clients. He doesn't get any kind of commissions, incentives, kickbacks from selling products or making recommendations. So the client pays him for his time and advice, and he helps them learn and manage their own finances. Welcome, Dr. J. How are you today? Hey, good evening. I, uh, I was thinking, Cody, this weekend, I'm, I'm down in Mississippi, we actually had two inches of snow. Um, it never happens. And I unfortunately didn't have a shovel. So, you know, the things you miss when you move from Connecticut to Mississippi. But luckily, it was melted by the end of the week, uh, end of the weekend. So it's just now dealing with mud. You didn't bring your snow shovel with you? <laughs> no, but the broom kind of worked for a <laughs> there bit. There you go. There you go. Um, before we dive too far into this, cover our fun disclaimer. So the following views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are for entertainment and educational purposes only. Please seek the assistance of a professional to aid you in your financial decisions. We're just having a good time here. <laughs> so um, just out of the gate, we're talking about uh, student loans and debt with student loans and, and how to manage paying for college and kind of from a child-free aspect. So one, I guess, thing to really consider here is that uh, from a child-free lifestyle standpoint, you don't have to worry about saving up for a college fund unless you feel really philanthropic and want to pay for someone's college. So that's at least a load off of our shoulders. What do you think about that? You don't have to pay for others, but you still got to pay your bill. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I was looking at the numbers, Cody, and, and I just pulled them up and it's $1.7 trillion in student loan debt. Oh, wow. So to give you an idea about... There's about $800 billion in credit card debt. So student loan is bigger than credit cards. Man, that you wouldn't, you wouldn't think that out of the gate, but because everyone uses credit cards, but not everyone has a student loan. So the, the Apple to Apple comparison just shows you how entrenching it can be. So there's 44 million or so people in the U.S. that have student loans. And the average is about $37,000 that they have. Oh, wow. And I see them all the time. They come to me, hey, I got student loans, and I see them, you know, in their 40s, 50s, 60s, looking at retirement. And that $30,000 loan is now 100000 mm. because over time it's grown. And I just talked to somebody the other day who was really excited. She paid off her student loans. I was very proud of her. But over half of what she paid was just interest. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's, I guess it's another statistic that's out there somewhere if someone could find it, but of the student loans, how many of them actually ended up with a degree versus just going to school and paying for it and then not finishing for various reasons, but you're still saddled with that debt for attending college <laughs> or university. So I did a program, uh, I used to teach for University of Connecticut on, uh, they call them non-traditional students, people 25 and older going back to college. And when you look at the data, those going back, they've chosen, hey, I'm, that's considered adult at 25, and I'm going back, the completion rate is actually much higher than those who started at 18. Mm-hmm. I mean, the truth is, at 18, do you really know what you want to be when you grow up? I mean, I'm 44 now, and I don't even know what I want to be when I grow up. Still so want to be an astronaut? No <laughs> captain, actually, is my current answer. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it is it is scary. And they just put out a couple uh, different analysis looking at return on investment of college. And the truth is, once you figure in the student loans, very few programs have a return on investment. Yeah. it's And, and that's assuming you graduate. Um, you know, if you got halfway through and stopped, you're stuck at a, you know, income level of essentially a high school uh, degree. It's hard. They don't put that in the brochure. (laughs) (laughs) And I think the hard part of it is, you know, so we talk a lot about this life script that we follow and child-free we've chosen not to follow the life script by saying, Hey, we're not gonna have kids. But another part of life script is you're going to college. Like it's just, yeah, that's it. You're going. It's, it's literally, I think it's like the first one, go to school. <laughs> it's like, Get a job. You know? yeah. And so I, I, I've done some research looking at just adults in general. And I believe outside the child-free population, most adults actually don't choose their path. You know, they were told, hey, you'd be great at whatever. Mm-hmm. So then they go to college for that. Then they get a job opportunity, might be close to it, might not. Then they get maybe a promotion or something. And next thing you know, 15 years have passed. I'm like, I'm like, how in the world did I get here? Because they were just following yeah. the steps. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the funny one, Cody, because I'm looking at my data uh, for my book on child-free wealth. And interestingly enough, a lot of people who have chosen to be child-free, who throughout that part of the script, still follow the other side of the script. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know well, if it's just stronger or what. It's just ingrained, like from just a, such a young age of of what to do, what path to follow, and yeah, it's it's hard to break that that mental structure, I guess. I don't know, but anyway, let's just dive right in here. So, how about paying for school without student loans? Yeah. So, if somebody asks me right now, I want to go back to college. Should I take a student loan? My answer is, there's there. The math just does not work. So let, let me talk through a couple of examples. So give you my own personal example. Um, I actually was one of those non-traditional students, went back to school uh, in my early 20s. I went from no degree to a PhD in five and a half years, and it cost me less than $9,000 for the entire thing. So it's possible to not only get your bachelor's, but other degrees without student loans. Mm. Uh, so let me give you a couple ideas. If you're going back to college, you're not sure, whatever it is, one of the first things I tell people to do is find somebody who's doing the job you want to do, ask them how they got there, and ask them if they would do it again. If you ask uh, medical doctors, most of them would say no. You know, they'd go be a, a physician assistant or do other something else rather than putting in 12 years of, of schooling. Uh, you'd be amazed by some of those answers. So that's the first thing. I want to figure out where I want to end up. The second part is I want to figure out the cheapest way to get there. Mm-hmm. So... Um, one of my advice to everybody, 
I don't care who you are, is you can test out of almost two years of school with CLEP exams. CLEP exams are where they came from was actually the vets coming back from Vietnam and other and Korea and saying, okay, I want to get what they call correspondence courses. That's old school. Like that's old, old people. And, no offense. And, if, if you went through that. No, I don't want to age. I, I did those exams too, but I mean, that's what they call them. Mm. Um, you used to actually literally mail out for them, but there's a place called modernstates.org, and it's a nonprofit. It will prepare you for the exam and pay for the exam. It's mm. actually a reimbursement. So you can get up to two years of college completely free and you can do it. I mean, I've, I've had people take a test a week and each test is three to six credits. I mean, it, it's, it's one of those things people go, is that, does that really count? Well, you test out of your general education credits. Okay. Uh -huh. Really? Do you care what my score was on French cinema? No, you don't. Um, and, and you can, and all you gotta do is pass a multiple choice exam. Pass. That's like a C. Um, anyone can do that, you know, so like, for example, um, depending on school, but most of them take English lit, you actually take a, a exam, write in a 500 or so word essay and six credits uh -huh. that just saved you thousands and thousands of dollars. The other bonus is if you've done that, you've tested out of two years of school, even if you take four years to complete your college, you're doing, you can spread your class out over four years and still work. That's a bonus. So that's the first thing I want you to think about is testing out. Uh -huh. Second thing is, if you're going to go to college, either for bachelor's or master's, got to see if they have a, either a research or a graduate assistantship or some type of assistantship program. Most schools have these where you work 10, 20 hours a week and they waive either your tuition, your fees, your tuition and fees, and they give you money. Uh -huh. That's what I did for my, my master's, and my PhD. Um, I took a graduate assistantship. I actually was helping people put courses online. It was great. Paid for my entire program. Um, for most people, most programs, getting a master's or PhD, the math isn't there for doing it if you're going to pay out of pocket. So mm -hmm. you need to find some other way to do it because if you're going to take student loans and we're going to talk about all about how to get out of them, <laughs> the only way to get out of them is to pay them off uh, <laughs> or die. I mean, yeah. I hate to say it that way, but <laughs> that is one of the options. Um, so you want to be thinking about it in advance. And, and I put this little section here just because everybody's accepted, hey, you have to do a certain thing. Uh -huh. You know, I actually had um, talked to this, talked to somebody and they explained, hey, they had done a bachelor's degree in three years. And I was like, wow, that's that's insane. I, I, I like that. And then I went to a college called Charter Oak State College in Connecticut. And I said, hey, I did the math. I, I laid it all out. I can do this in nine months. And they kind of laughed at me like, no, you can't. It hasn't been done. Good luck. Nine months later, I had a diploma in hand and I was already enrolled in a graduate program. Oh, there you go. And it's possible. You know, you just have to kind of, you know, they call it now they call it hack schooling. You have to think about it differently and not follow the standard script. Does that make sense, Cody? It does. It does. Um, here we actually have a comment here. Uh, let's see. Leela, I've uh, graduated from Argentina, could never afford to study in the USA. Now I'm trying to finish a continuing education master's in Germany, but I'm at 46. Uh, what are my chances to have a master's or PhD back in the US getting to work as a teaching assistant or in any capacity? Do they take the old people? What do you think about that? Okay, Cody, we are really getting old. I'm 44. You're in the same I'm, age. And I'm 43. Yeah. 
I don't know when 40 became really old, but I guess, um, <laughs> but to answer your question, a couple things, which program you're in will matter. So if you're going into some type of program where there's limited people, so, you know, uh, I hate to say it, but all the hard math and science programs, all that graduate assistantships are expected to go with it. And that's not a big deal. Uh, the graduate assistantship could be a teaching assistant, could be a uh -huh. research assistant, could be helping with the cafeteria. It doesn't matter. It still pays the same. Right. So we're, so if we're doing psychology, the downside of that is there's, there's limited programs, but what you can do is figure out a specialty. You want to find a niche. And if you're willing to move, you can find somebody that's doing a research in an area that you're interested about and say, Hey, I'm really interested in marriage therapy, psychology. I don't care whatever it is. Psychology of child-free folks, just hint, hint. Um, and now you're coming in with an idea. And what happens is the professors, you know, my wife's a professor, so I know this from the inside too. I taught in academia. I taught at Yale. I taught at UConn, taught different places. The professors have research money and they need people to help them. If you're willing to do the work, they're willing to pay. There you go. Um, but you have to be willing to go to wherever to get that degree. Great. Great comment. And that's just a quick reminder. This is live. Like we're streaming this. So if you have a comment, a question, uh, let it fly. And if, if we can answer it, we will. Um, this will also be archived once it's done recording. It'll be available on the Chopper Family YouTube channel. So you can always uh, go there as well. And if you're there watching this as an archive, add in the comments, questions, and uh, I'll get with Dr. J. We'll try to get some answers for you. So mm -hmm. um, with that, we'll kind of step into the next uh, topic here. So we got student loan overview. We got private versus federal loans. So let's bring up this slide because it's not exactly yeah. uh, simple to explain. All right. I got to take a deep breath because I swear these like student loans are worse <laughs> than taxes in some cases. So here's the thing I want you to think about. If you have a private loan, okay, that, that's either from an outside bank or, in, or sometimes the, the university have those, you don't have many options. You may be able to take that loan and consolidate it into a federal, if you have other federal loans or things, but private loans, no. And, and, and I got to pause here because um, a lot of people talk about this student loan forgiveness. You know, it's going to just disappear and it's in the politics. I hate talking politics. I don't want to talk politics, but here's what I can tell you. Private loans, <laughs> there's very little or no chance of you seeing any type of forgiveness there where you may see the forgiveness is in some of the federal loans. And I have clients call me all the time and kind of, well, should I put off paying my loan because I'm hoping for this forgiveness? But we're going to talk about the public service loan forgiveness program. That's the one that exists right now. Um, until you see changes there, I don't, I don't foresee it. Uh, we're, we're right now in March of 2022. And right now they're looking at, okay, May 1st, student loans starting back up. My crystal ball, and this, I'm not a politician person, but I, just my crystal ball is if they extend the pay, if they extend this moratorium on, on making payments, they'll extend it through November because that's election season. Let's just be real. Does that make sense, Cody? It, it makes perfect. We're in the U.S., so we're talking U.S. stuff if anyone's outside of uh, our home base here. <laughs> yeah. So they're going to extend it through election season and then kick it off to the next person to deal with. Mm -hmm. The thing I want you to remember from a political standpoint They've been talking about forgiving loans for over a decade. And, and, they, and they use that blanket statement. It's the student loans, not necessarily whether it's federal or privately owned. Yeah. 
So, so <laughs> if you have a private loan, it's on you. You're going to have to figure that out real quick. Now, today we're going to not talk about Parent PLUS loans um, because uh, hey. if you're watching Power <laughs> Free and you have kids, that's a different um, discussion. Um, but if your parents took out loans to help you, some of this will apply, some may not. So here's what you want to think about. When you see the federal loans, it says other Perkin loans and some of those things, um, older programs, some still do exist. You're not going to see too much of that. You're going to see more of the direct loans in this FFEL. I don't want you to get wrapped up in which loans they are, but you need to know which loan is yours. And what's going to happen is you will probably have four, five, six loans under, under your educational program because they usually have one for each year. So you may have a variety of these loans. If you have no clue what your loans are, which by the way is common, <laughs> you want to go to your servicer, get a copy of the uh, statement. And because like Navient and a few others have sold out recently and gone out of business, you might have a little trouble finding that. So you may have to pull your credit report to see what your loans were and then tra track down who has them. Now, that's not exactly foolproof because they may or may not be reporting it to your credit. So you need to you need to you're gonna need to do a bit of sleuthing to figure out what your loans are before you can decide what your options are. And you want to get all of them together first. And it's interesting, I've done this exercise with quite a few people, and it takes a bit of time to figure out what do I got and where and how much do I owe? Uh -huh. Because you sign one, like, okay, I you know, you sign your FAFSA form, you say, Yeah, I want tuition assistance. They're like, here, here's these loans. They don't tell you anything about them. Or if they did, you didn't hear it. Um, I, I mean, I have days where I'm going, is that a direct loan or FFL? And then does that qualify for this? That qual Does that make any sense, Cody? Is it, well, and I'm thinking from like a home loan standpoint, is it common for companies to basically sell off your loan to another company that will take it over? Yes and no. There's only a couple um, servicers for the federal loans. Mm -hmm. Private loans, yeah, they'll sell them all the time. Um, one of the reasons actually why you, I feel from a political standpoint, you won't see um, forgiveness is a lot of these loans are actually out into products. We, everybody remembers this mortgage, mortgage backed securities that blew up 2008. Mm -hmm. Well, there are student loan backed securities that do the same thing. Um, that's behind the scenes. You won't see that, but the servicers have come and gone. So used to be, Sally May. Sally May was the one everybody knew. And Sally May had a, a room in your house and she lived there the entire life. Sally May became Navian, became like they just keep going out of business because it's not a fun business to be in. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's like, yay, I work in student loans. <laughs> um, Some people might. They, they might they might get their jollies out of student loans. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. I, I like helping them pay people pay them off, but I'm there not trying to chase people down for them. So what you want to do is figure out what you have, and then that's going to determine what options you have for income-driven repayment and public service loan forgiveness. We're going to talk about those programs separately. You may be able to take FFELs or other loans, but make them into a direct loan, then have more options. You may be able to take some of the private loans. Not, so, not, not likely, but you may. So you have to have the right type of loan to qualify for the right type of program. So we're going to talk through all different options, but you, you're, you're probably going to have to, you know, rearrange 
some stuff to get it to qualify before you can do that. Now, one downside of this, if you start rearranging your loans, what happens is you're picking a path and you're stuck on it. So if you decide, hey, I want to be on an income-driven or public service loan forgiveness, you're all, all your eggs in that basket. And what happens is if you take, and we'll talk a little more of this, refinance your loan and make it private, you've decided, forget it. I'm not dealing with the government at all. So, and, and many of those options are not ones you can change later. Okay. If you're like, hey, I had these direct loans and I refinanced them to private loan to get a lower rate. Okay, that's your option. You're paying that loan off over 10 years. You know, so you have to think about this before you make a step. Right now, while you're not paying the payment, is a good time to, to spend some good quality time with your student loans. Yeah. Um, and an adult beverage in many cases is the way you're gonna get through it. Well, and that's it, like everything you're talking about, like again, it's not something that's necessarily even laid out to you when you get that loan at your college university. If if they do, it's very it's to sign this form, like you can read it over if you want to, but they're not going to tell you all these options, all these behind the scenes things that can happen, transactions and uh, what you can do with it later. It's just, just, just pay to go to college. There's some form somewhere, Cody. Yeah. It's kind of like the HIPAA form that you sign at your doctor's office every time. And you have no clue what's on that either. Like people just sign all these and just, and what happens is over time, like, well, we're going to give people more information there to make an informed choice. Look, I don't know about you, but when I was 18, I was dumb. All right. I just made dumb decisions. I'm not sure when I stopped, but I, you know, I mean, it's just, you're asking somebody to take out a hundred thousand dollar loan when they don't know what they really want to be. I mean, that, that's hard. I, I don't know how, how that happens. Um, I think the challenge is once you have the student loans, you have to address them because if you don't, they're not going to just disappear. Uh-huh. So let's move on. Cody. Yeah. Uh, you want to uh, pull this guy down. And so now we've got death and disability in the student loan overview. So I hate to start with death and disability. <laughs> well, <laughs> but it's one way to get rid of your loans. <laughs> so on the death side, and this is going to sound a little harsh, but good thing is once you die, your, your spouse or your family can apply to have your loan forgiven. So you're not passing it down or passing it to your spouse. Whew. As long as they didn't make it into a private loan and you both co-signed for it. If somebody else co-signed for it, we could have messed this up somewhere. Now, the other one is disability. So this is kind of an interesting one. I've worked with a couple of clients on this. If you get disability from VA or Social Security, it's pretty easy to get your loans forgiven. The way it works is if I get what's called SSDI, Social Security Disability Insurance, I get approved. You know, I don't know. I, I, I you know, I, I had cancer or I'm blind or, and I mean, they're usually like, you know, it's not like I stubbed my toe. It's like uh-huh. you are disabled for the rest of your life. So if I have approval from Social Security, I send in a form, say, hey, I'm approved. The government does its thing, takes a couple months. And then they send you a letter and say, your loans were forgiven or discharged. But here's the caveat if you come off a disability within three years, they go, Oh, you're okay now. Let me bring these loans back. Is that retroactive or do they start it off from where you would be? Uh, depends. <laughs> it could be either, but most likely it's been paused in that period of time. Um, because what happened was people were like, oh, I'm disabled. I broke my arm. Uh-huh. And then they're working more. 
The other part of it is they look at how much your income. So if you say like, well, I'm disabled, and then you're like, oh, but I'm going to run a side business over here and I'm making more than certain limits. They're like, welcome back to student loans. They love limits. <laughs> um, so you have to be very careful in that three-year period. Um, it, it, first of all, don't defraud the government, but disability is one of those where you can mess up without realizing it. Uh-huh. You know, so the, the income limits, ah, it's like a little over a thousand dollars a month, something like that. So if you decide, hey, I want to walk some dogs just to get some exercise and make a little bit of money, you could very quickly mess up your disability and your student loan uh-huh. forgiveness. Does that make sense, Cody? It does. And going back to what we spoke about a little bit earlier with, you know, the, changing your loan, the structure and doing the co-signing with a spouse. And then that person happened to die. And now you're on the hook to still pay that loan when you may not have before. Again, things that may not be fully explained to people when they're going through the process. And let me go one more on that one. So some people are like, well, I will take money out of my house and pay off my student loan. Well, then if I die, you still owe it on the house. If you get disabled, you still owe it on the house. And you went from unsecured debt because the student loan is not secured to anything. They, you know, they can't like come take your degree away. Um, now it's on a secured debt. Same thing also with credit cards. Credit cards, well, they're like, well, I could do this. I could do this. You start playing games, you're going to get caught. You know, it's like yeah. you, it's unintended consequences. The shell game with your, your debt load, basically. Let's go to the next one. You got it. So next up is bankruptcy. So, all right. Can I, can I declare bankruptcy and walk away? Is that a thing I can do? Technically, <laughs> you could. It doesn't happen. Okay, so this is one of those weird ones. So I just saw a really interesting case. This guy said, well, I took out student loans, but I didn't use them for school. I just used them for like snacks and computers. And actually was able to get it thrown out in bankruptcy. Oh, wow. Here's what happened. Government's now going to appeal that forever. Same thing has happened. There's somebody recently in the news where the government's going after her, went bankrupt from cancer. And now they're like, mm, we're still coming after you for your student loans. Huh. Um, because here's the, here's the deal. If the courts to start deciding you can bankrupt student loans, oh. you'd see a lot of everybody would be bankrupt. Yeah. Everybody be like, done because yeah. I, I take the seven year hit on my yep, credit. I'll t- and I'll t- I'll t- yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so what's happening is while you can get one or two courts to kind of, yeah, that makes sense. Then the federal government says, uh-uh, I don't agree. And now you're stuck in a legal battle with the federal government. And they're willing to spend whatever they have yeah. to spend to protect this. Um, I think this is just kind of like gut feel. I think you'll see some of the bankruptcy reform before you will see um, some of the student loan forgiveness. And the reason for that is bankruptcy exists. Student loan forgiveness doesn't really on the wide range. Uh-huh. If they said, look, we're willing to renegotiate or do bankruptcy to get you out of student loan because there's a negative consequence that comes with that credit hit and all that. I could see that first. Now, mind you, probably take a change of law and it would take quite a bit of change. But then you've also, you've now gone bankrupt mm. on, a, on a loan you took out, which there's a, there's a moral and ethical. What do you think, Cody? I, I, yeah, it's one of those things where it's, uh, again, at 18 to 24, if you were a traditional student, you, you agreed to 
accept this money for this degree. And if you couldn't make a go of it, it's like, well, I mean, what's to blame? You know, it's one of those things. It's like where you sold, you know, the, the magic beans or, you know. <laughs> so I think the hard part of this is if you ask a bankruptcy lawyer, should you go bankrupt? It's like asking my dog if he's hungry. Mm. He's going to go, uh-huh. Yeah, you should. Because <laughs> that's how they get paid. Um, and you might kind of, you might be able to win, but, but then you might be in a battle for the rest of your life. Yeah. It, well, this goes back to kind of what you talked about in the very beginning of kind of, if you know kind of what you want to do, talk to people that are in that field, find out what they did, what they would do different. Uh, and, and then start to look into the other means that you brought up about, is there other ways to take care of this without diving into a student loan at first? Yep. Let's move on. <laughs> All right. Next up, we've got uh, for-profit schools. Okay. So I'm biased. I'm going to admit that up front. And I say friends don't let friends go to for-profit schools. Okay. That's just bias. That's completely bias. And part of that is because a lot of for-profit schools have done some sketchy things. So let me talk about two in particular. Um, ITT, which, come on, you remember the commercials, right? I remember the commercials, yeah. I mean, they it, were it, everywhere. It, air conditioning repair and some other, they had, they had some weird stuff they had come up on that screen. You're like, there's a degree for that? <laughs> and then here's the other one you're going to remember, Cody, DeVry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so ITT and DeVry, they were out there talking about, we'll get you these jobs and we'll do this, that, and the other. And then yeah, they were know. they were guaranteeing like placement. It's like yeah. you know whatever x eighty percent. I'm throwing a number out there of our graduates have a job within three months or something. Whatever they would used to say. Yep. So here's what happens if you went to one of those schools, and so, there are other for-profit schools that have gone out or been this. You can actually apply and say, look, they they took advantage of me, and get the loan forgiven. Uh, this year alone, uh, the, the Department of Education put out that they put out $415 million of loans. They just went, psh, disappeared oh, wow. because they got screwed. Now, it's a bit of paperwork. It's a bit of a pain. But if you went to one of, one of those schools, you're going to take a shot at it. Mm. <laughs> you you, you got to. Yeah. Because like the ITT is a great example. You knew you didn't go there and you knew the, well, we're going to place you and get you a job. And then yeah. everybody got out and like, where's my job? Mm. And uh, the other thing with for-profit schools is you get stuck. So there's some other bigger for-profit schools who I'm going to remain nameless. And what happens is when you start there, you can't transfer your credits anywhere because other schools don't take it. Or I get a bachelor's at somewhere and you go to get a master's and they're like, mm -mm, I don't yeah. trust XYZ school. So then you go back to the for-profit for a master's and now you're paying more. And it's just, that's the way that system is made. Yeah. I'm not saying nonprofit schools are are saints because they're not. I'm just saying the for-profits have a bad history, which is why there's actually specific programs to just wipe that debt out. Mm -hmm. No guarantees on that, but it's yeah. worth a shot. Well, and that's what you hear a lot of like the, the, the clickbait ads or whatever, not ads, but articles where they talk about, oh, like whatever, student loans forgiven for, for so-and-so, but they're, they're making it sound like it's a political aspect when really it's uh fraud uh, in some degree of the of the previous company and it's like hey it's it's almost like the you know the uh law commercials that come up it's like did you eat red berries as a child well you can sue this company for it or something so so it gets even funnier on this one so navient which was sally may which was the which was the the person doing all the background work just got sued 
They, you know, they owe a whole bunch of money to write off loans. Here's the fine print. You're only getting the money if you didn't pay your loans. If you were actually paying on time, they're like, hmm, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> what <laughs> thanks, logic is that? Th thanks for doing what you're supposed to do. <laughs> so the court stuff on this is just, it's just, it makes no sense. Yeah. But you got to try whatever you can. Mm. So let's keep moving. All right. We've got so you, interest rates you, and the payment schedule. Yeah. If you can't get rid of it, here's what's going to happen. Your student loan is going to be put on a 10-year schedule. That's the standard payment schedule. They just take the loan, split it up monthly, 10 years. That's it. And that starts after you've graduated. With a grace, there's a grace period, I believe. But There's usually a six-month you know, period, but it depends. There's some, there's some caveats in there. Now, average uh, student loan rate is like 58 to 6%. So what that means is every 12 years on average, your student loans will double. So if you wait 10 years to pay it off, this is why people are like, hey, half the amount I paid was to interest. Yeah. And the answer is, that's the way the math works. I mean, just. But, that's why they, they want money with interest. That's why. <laughs> yeah. And I bring this up because we're going to talk about um, uh, income-based payments and, and income-driven payments. You can go out to 25 years, but that interest doesn't stop and it's going to keep doubling. Mm. All right. So 10-year schedule is normal. Something around 6%. If you have a bunch of student loans, you might have a bunch of interest rates. There are ways to refinance and do that. But you want to be thinking about that. So if you're like, oh, my God, this payment is crazy. That's what it is. It's a 10-year loan. The, the, the problem is if you have $100,000 that you owe over 10 years, well, that's, that's going to be a mortgage payment. That's a lot of interest. <laughs> a lot of interest. Yeah. So let's keep moving. Yep. So we have employer-student loan match. Here's a weird one. This one came up more with COVID and some IRS changes. And some employers are starting to offer, rather than a 401k match, a student loan match. So, you know, if you can't afford to put the money away for 401k because you're busy paying your student loan, which makes sense. I mean, I can understand how that happens. They can match it and they can get some tax bonus for that. Okay. So first, you want to look at that. The second thing I'm finding, I'm seeing is some employers are just offering student loan money. Uh -huh. For you to come and work there you know do two years with us we'll give you some money for both the match or just money you got to pay that as income so you're gonna pay taxes on that but if my employer's gonna give me here here's two thousand dollars towards your Extra. loan you go, yeah sure i'll pay the taxes on that you know yeah. <laughs> kind of like how that works yeah so um, are they doing that in lieu of like 401ks or are they oh wow okay specifically in lieu of 401ks in most cases unless like, for example, uh, doctors have historically done this. You sign on one to practice and they're like, look, if you're here five years, we will pay all your loans. That's a good deal. Mm -hmm. um, so make sure you know the details on what that is. Right, and Cody, did you share the link with the, with all this? There's there's oh, a post. I can, yeah, let me, let me throw that in the comments while you talk about our uh, loan forgiveness programs here. Yeah, so uh, I'm sharing the link because there's a lot of information here. And we're yeah. going to get a little deeper. All right, loan forgiveness. We're going to talk about two big programs, PSLF, and we're going to talk about NHSC. But here's the thing to remember. They have specific guidelines, and there are some weird programs out there. So one of the things uh, is your homework. I want you to Google your state plus loan forgiveness or your career plus loan forgiveness. There are some weird things, like maybe you're in a rural area and they're encouraging people. I just saw something 
I don't know, one state was trying to like convince people to move there. So they're helping to pay loans. Like there's some weird stuff out there on loan forgiveness. Google them because those are specific to you. But we're going to talk about the big ones. Yeah. So public service loan forgiveness. So we'll bring up the slide, Cody. You got it. All right. Also, you'll hear it's called PSLF. Bottom line is you got to work for the state or nonprofit or government. Um, now, military has some of its own stuff. You can also qualify it here. So I'm not going to go into the military stuff because there's some specific things there. But working for state, federal, or nonprofit is, is the first thing. So, for example, let's say I have $100,000 in loans. It might be worth it for me to take a lower-paying job at a nonprofit or a state in order to have that loan disappear. Um, so that's part of what that is. And what you see this a lot is healthcare, uh, teachers, you know, a lot of civil servants qualify under public service loan forgiveness. My non-political political thing is I have a feeling they will expand this before they do it wide for everybody else. You know, like they might add another category that fits in there. Does that make sense, Cody, to you? It, it does. Um, but I've got a, a question or a comment and a question that have come in. Let me let me jump this in here real quick. We've got Michelle here. It says, um, so interest is currently positive to COVID. Do you think uh, administration will do student loan forgiveness for non-public servant? Uh, well, I think they meant to say uh, service. Uh, I have no student loans, but my husband still has 20K. We have the money to pay it off in full in savings, but have kept it in high interest accounts to earn funds while the payments have been paused. Um, plan on keeping it there until payments resume, uh, which they wouldn't. What are your yeah. thoughts on that? So keep the comment up because I want to pull this apart. Sure. There's a couple different pieces of this. So this COVID thing, we've decided COVID's endemic and we've, we're kind of past that. So they're going to have to change the reasoning behind it if they're going to continue this type of pause. I believe either it's going to end May 1st or it will be like December 1st, right after the elections. Um, and that's me being a little jaded. So I just want to do that. Do you see loan forgiveness? <laughs> you know, this, this is a little jaded too, but the only way I see that is if they're trying to buy some votes um, by saying, hey, here's some money. Uh, we gave it to you like in October, <laughs> just before the election. Um, I hate to say it that way, but that kind of is what the what it's looking like um but here's the thing the big question there is who pays for it uh -huh. and that's where it goes downhill um you know if we said okay we're gonna give ten thousand dollars because that was a, a discussion of forgiveness to everyone by the way i'm all for not charging people for college i'd like to figure out ways to do that that's my own belief but i think if we're gonna say hey we're gonna give everybody ten thousand dollars you gotta do ten thousand dollars times 43 million people uh -huh. I don't even know what that means. That's a lot of. I money. mean, we're, all you hear in social media and the news is inflation these days. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it is possible. It's the same way you would see tax breaks. So when you saw the the child tax credit, I know some child free folks got upset at that, and I understand why. It's effectively the same thing if they do a student loan forgiveness. Okay, we're just going to give you a credit, and we're going to take it out of you somewhere else. Mm. Um, you know, Michelle, here's my thing for you. You want to hold that money in a high interest account, make sure, by the way, this is where a high yield savings account is great because it just gets interest and it doesn't, it's not at risk. And you want to wait until they say yes, no, that's fine. You got nothing to lose. But here's the thing. 
for many people they're like, well, I'm going to, you know, they don't have the money on hand to pay it off. And they're like, well, I'll deal with it when it gets here. That's a big bill. Yeah. Because here's what's happened. We got inflation. We got people's budgets. We got interest rates going up. And then, oh, by the way, we're going to start up student loans again in May 1st. That's, that's how people lose their hair. I mean, it's just, so for you, Michelle, I, I like the idea. Hey, I've got to put aside. I'm going to do it. I think what I would be cautious about is some people go, well, I'm going to wait until they forgive it. Mm. Well, they've been talking about forgiveness for a decade. If you do that, your loan will double in time. There you uh, go. So it uh, says, give the student loan credits to the child free. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not disagreeing. That's just <laughs> So public service loan forgiveness, you got to be qualified. You have to work full time. That's 30 hours. Why they come with 30 hours? That is. You have to have direct loans or consolidated direct loan. That was that chart. And then your loan has to come under income-driven repayment. Because here's what happens. A standard plan is 10 years, which is 120 payments, which then means your loan would already be paid off, so there's no reason to apply for forgiveness. So I said, okay, we'll stretch it out over 20 or 25 years, and then you pay it. The uh -huh. good thing about public service loan forgiveness is when they forgive your loan, there's no tax consequences. So if you can stretch it out, you can. I'll show you the income-driven repayment plan in a second. The bonus there is it disappears and you don't pay any bills. Some of the other programs you actually do pay on, on interest. Hmm. And, and so we can bring the slide down for a minute. Yep. There's also one more program, the National Health Service Corps, NHSC. By the way, this is by HRSA's NHSC. HRSA's the health and like Cody's like, did you mess we, up? Like we love acronyms. Do, 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 do. <laughs> this one is specifically for healthcare providers who are providing primary care, dental care, or behavioral health services. So our friend that was talking about the psychology degree could qualify it here. And what happens is if you're willing to work in a NHSC site, which is usually a rural site or a um, urban site where they have heavy healthcare needs, you can get up to $50,000 for two years of service. And they just yeah. write you a check. And that's awesome. Yeah. Because it's not even like income-based. They just, here's your check. You put it to your student loans and go, and you can continue that over multiple years. So if you're coming out as an MD or a physician assistant or something, and you got $100,000 in loans, find an NHC site and it, poof. It, you know, there's limits on how much money they have per year and all that. I was just working with somebody recently on this and they're like, this year we have more money than we ever had. I will make a comment on that because for both uh, PSLF and NHSC, it depends on the administration. The previous administration approved less than 1% of all public service loan forgiveness applications. That just was. Right. Past couple of months, there's been more than that than there were in the last four years. So here's the only downside. You are planning on what is the program going to look like in 10 years for PSLF, yeah. which is, what's that, three administrations from now or whatever? Um, you're taking a little bit of a gamble that the government doesn't change their mind mm -hmm. in between now and then. Yeah. All right. So let's look at these income base. And I have a slide for this one. All right. Because I can't keep these straight. <laughs> All right. Don't get wrapped up in the, the terms IBR, pay, repay. Well, Thank you. Here's the, <laughs> here's the bottom line. Okay. Depending on type of loan and depending on you and your payment, your, your situation and income, 
you may qualify for any of these four plans. The general thing when it says 10% of discretionary income, what they do, take your total income you have, that's the adjusted gross income, minus 150% of the poverty guideline. And that's poverty guideline for family size. By the way, child-free folks, this is another place we're getting screwed. Uh-huh. Did I say that out loud? Oops, sorry. <laughs> okay. Because we're only in a family size of one or two. All right. So, for example, if you make 60 grand and you're single, the 10% of your discretionary would be $364 a month. That would be what your payment would be. That changes as your income goes up, but it'll be no more than the 10 year standard repayment amount. So, whatever your normal was. Now, a couple twists on this. For IBR and pay, um, you can, this is one of those weird tax ones. You can be married and filing singly. So, you just take your income. So if you know your income is going to be low, it's an option. You're actually probably going to end up paying a little more in tax by doing that choice, but then your payment's lower. It's one of those you got to kind of balance. You know, sometimes things work, but you may or may not want them. The other thing to keep in mind, these are for 20 or 25 years. So the way this works is if I'm on an IBR, for example, and you see there's a slightly different guideline based on when you had it, but close enough. So I pay my payment for 20 years. At the end of 20 years, the rest of the loan, they'll just wipe out. But you're getting a tax bill on that as income. Hmm. So I'm making it up. Let's say I had a giant loan and um, it was $150,000. I paid off some, but I had interest over. Because remember that every 12 years is going to double at 6%. And let's say they wrote off $100,000 at the end. Well, if I'm in that 22% tax bracket, I got a $22,000 tax bill coming hmm. out. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> you know, my loan disappeared, but now I have an IRS problem. Mm. So I don't yeah. love these programs because you feel like you took care of it, but then you have this grenade waiting for you mm-hmm. later in life. What do you think about that, Cody? Yeah, I mean, Robin Peter to pay Paul. Like the 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 government's going to get their tax money one way or another. <laughs> so it's- yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the hard part is if your income, if you can't afford it, fine. But you need to find a priority to pay off that loan that loan because the interest is still growing, with the mm-hmm. exception of this little COVID respite. Um, I'd love to see them stop interest forever going on, but I don't. I don't. Somebody's got to make their money somewhere. <laughs> Somebody will lobby to to exist. Mm-hmm. So you have to look at it. Here's my thing on on the income based repayment programs. This is one of those where you have to do a bunch of math and guesstimates of what your income is going to be over the next 25 years. That's hard. Yeah, that is hard. Yeah. If you're on public service loan forgiveness, yeah, be on this because then at the end of, you know, 120 payments, uh, you can get rid of it. Now, one little caveat on that public service loan forgiveness. There's a temporary window right now where they were being nice used to be, and this is why they didn't get approved in the previous administration. If you miss one payment, yeah. It has to be 120 consecutive on-time payments. So if you like didn't write the check one month or it didn't process or you bounced it. Auto pay. <laughs> or your employer changed or mm-hmm. they didn't certify or there's a bunch of those. Right now, by the way, if you have applied for PSLF in the, in the past, there is a temporary program right now where you can ask them, hey, can you give me a little bit of leeway? 
And they may even give you credit for payments you made. And they may, you know, like they're literally trying to reach out and say, I'll try to help you. Right now, it's only scheduled to go through October. So just in case. (laughs) (laughs) So let's keep moving. You got it. Do you want to pull this slide down? You done up here? All right, cool. All right. So we've got uh, refinancing a student loan. Yeah. So uh, there's a bunch of companies right now out there trying to get your refi and rates are considerably low and they'll go up a little bit when the interest rate raises, but they're decent. The downside of this is you've just changed your outcome based on that first chart. So if you said, okay, I'm not doing PSLF, I'm not doing NHSC, I'm not doing income-based repayment. I have four different loans, four different interest rates, and I want to refinance for lower interest rate. Great. Now, funny one with this one. Um, if you resol- if you refinance or consolidate, one of the ones with PSLF is it can actually reset that clock again. Hmm. So I, I like had 60 payments and then like, you just consolidated. You're at zero. Yeah. Oh, um, boy. So, so you only do this option if you've already run out of the rest of the options. Um, once again, most refinancing are going to be on a 10-year time. So that, that you got to make sure you're going to be able to, to swing that payment. As you go along and most refinances now I'm going to put you in a private loan, which is fine. But uh, like that's after I've already run through all of these other options. When I get to refinance, Mm -hmm. the thing though, I want you to remember is refinancing your student loans to another student loan. I'm okay with refinancing to put on credit cards or on your house or uh, 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 those are not options. What do you think, Cody? Uh, Well, and it also goes to refinancing it as well. Um, about putting your spouse on there talking about the you know dealing with uh, death down the road it's like they would still have to be uh, on the hook for that loan as well um so for for the too long didn't read uh scenario what what now what can people do that that are in this situation so this is that question of yeah <laughs> uh-huh that was a lot of government a, a lot, lot, of, of, lot of things <laughs> what do i do all right first step got to figure out all your loans like get them all yeah. on a sheet of paper, all with what is the payment, what type of loan is it, what structure. Second step is, what are you going to do for your job? Now, by the way, if you have six figures of student loan, which by the way is common, I mean, like that's not like an odd number. Average is thirty-seven thousand, so th- that range is pretty that's the average. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you got six figures, you probably need to look at a job within a PSLF type job nonprofit or something. I don't know what that means to you. So for example, I had people that um, did the math and figured out that if they went and worked as a janitor at a local university, they'd be better off because the university had some reimbursement and they could be a PSLF, even though their degree was in something advanced. It just worked. Um, May not be your ideal job, but if it can get rid of the loans, that might be an option. The other thing then is, all right, if that's not an option, what is our plan? Which means budgeting, getting out of debt, making a priority. So this is one of those, and I'm going to I'll put a shameless plug here. This is one of those times when you might want some help. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where working with an advice-only, fee-only certified financial planner to do the math, help you through it, might be worth the money because you make a mistake. First of all, you change your outcome. But the other part of it is you got to have an overall financial plan. You don't want to be retiring with a student loan. I mean, that's just, 
I don't even know how you do that. Okay. I mean, I have some people trying to retire. It, it sounds like a lot of people are going to retire with student loans. It's, it right, sounds but, that way. But the problem is if I have a mortgage and a student loan and my other debt mm -hmm. when I retire, I'm not going to have no money to pay my bills and I'm going to be working mm -hmm. at Walmart. I mean, nothing wrong with working at Walmart, but I don't want to do it by choice. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a gentleman at the local Walmart. He's 85 years old and he's, his job is welcome to Walmart all day long. And I'm like, I and that, that's some people's life goal. They want to be that. They want to be the greeter at, at Walmart. Which if hey, that's your goal, it, that's fine. Yeah, be a happy person. Say hello. <laughs> but you want to work out a plan. The yeah. thing is, hoping and dreaming for the government to fix it for you. I don't see that as a plan. Uh, yeah, it's wishful, wishful thinking. But again, you, you've got to. It, it's a grain of salt. It's political talk from from either side of the aisle. It doesn't matter what side you think on. Like it's, it's always gonna be thrown out there and dangled. Um, just, yeah, and I'm all, by the way, we yeah. should be arguing about student loans. We should be arguing about, should we pay them off? We should be arguing about the cost of college. We should be out there lobbying that. But if it takes 10 years to figure that out. <laughs> your loan might be paid off by then. So there you go. Well, uh, Dr. J, thanks for joining us. Thanks for everyone in the audience. Uh, through comments out there, questions out there, appreciate that. Is there anything that you want to talk about? You mentioned the book. Do you want to... Yeah, so um, I'll give a shameless plug to my website. So that's childfreewealth.com. Um, if you're looking for financial help, I do offer a uh, no-cost intro meeting for 60 minutes so we can just chit-chat, see if it makes sense. Um, and really what I'm working with people on is how do you get the life you want with your finances? It's not about just the dollars. It's about working it through. And as you saw, like student loans is just one part. And I'm like, yeah. how do you make sense of this? And there are times it doesn't make sense, but at least you could have somebody as a thinking partner to work it through. And then, yep, Cody, you're right. Um, coming up, keep your eyes out for a book called Portraits of Child-Free Wealth coming out hopefully in June, which will it'll have 26 stories of how people have actually done with finances in child-free. Some mm -hmm. people made a lot of money. Some people are broke and we're not automatically rich. <laughs> well, and as you saw, this is, you know, live, it's streamed live. We're looking for someone that wants to join us and go through a you know, just kind of a run through of their financial situation with Dr. J. Um, it, you know, once they will have fun with it, it but I mean, it can definitely be educational for the individual and help other people out that might be in that situation as well. Again, Dr. J focuses on people who are child free and that's a really cool thing uh, that, that, that fits our audience. So uh, thank you for doing that. And if you're interested to shoot an email to me at info at childfreefamily.com um, or if this happens to be on social media, just, DM me or whatever, and we'll get it set up and looking forward to episode nine coming up. We're going to talk about small businesses and side gigs. So if you're interested in working a hustle or starting a small business, uh, you'll definitely want to tune in for that one. So yeah, Dr. J. It, it is interesting. Child free folks seem to have more side gig, gigs and small businesses than the parents. I mean, that little bit time. of freedom goes a long way. So <laughs> With that, we'll see you guys later. Thank you, Dr. J, for your time. Thanks, audience. Have a great night. Later. We hope you enjoyed this episode presented by Child Free Media Limited. To stay current with child-free content like this, please visit childfreemedia.com and subscribe to the newsletter.